Welcome to episode 49 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with Sacrament trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to sacrament.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, we'll be featuring a conversation with Dr. Becky Porter, President and CEO of the Military Child Education Coalition. She is a board-certified clinical health psychologist, a fellow of the American Psychological Association, and a member of the Order of Military Medical Merit. Becky's military career spanned more than 30 years, and she served in all three components of the U.S. Army with the Washington National Guard, the U.S. Army Reserves, and on active duty. She retired at the rank of colonel, She is a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom and former special assistant to the U.S. Army's 34th Chief of Staff, General Eric Shinseki. You can find out more about Becky by checking out her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. You retired as a clinical mental health professional after serving a long and distinguished career in the Army, and now you lead a group of dedicated professionals supporting military children as the CEO of the Military Child Education Coalition. It may seem logical, but moving from supporting clinical role to supporting education may not seem like an intuitive post-military shift for someone. You're right, Dwayne. I mean, it's really been, in some ways, an unexpected development in my career. But in other ways, it's really been a long time coming. When I was a clinical psychologist on active duty back in 2001, I worked for the chief of staff of the Army as his special assistant to well-being. And in that portfolio, I had things like education for service members, family programs, education issues for dependents, and healthcare. And while I was doing that work for the Chief of Staff of the Army, I started working peripherally with MSEC, the Military Child Education Coalition. And in fact, one of the first things I did was to proofread a study that the Army had asked them to conduct on the transition needs of of military kids in secondary education. So high school kids in the military moving from one school system to another. And and my children at that time were really young and my husband was also on active duty. And I, as I read this study, I went home and I said to my husband, you know what, we need to get out of the army as soon as possible because it's going to be really tough for our kids. And fortunately, I got to the end of the study and I saw some of the recommendations that MSEC was making for, in that case, Army leaders to help with transitions for military-connected students. And my husband and I stayed on active duty through retirement. But during that time, from 2001 until 2019, when I retired from the Army, I continued to work with MSEC as a volunteer. And I served on their science advisory board, which is a group of academics and clinicians who are specialists in child development, 
psychological issues, education. And I also presented at a lot of their conferences, facilitated some trainings and group discussions for MSEC. So really had been involved with MSEC on the periphery for almost 18 years when I applied to be the chief executive officer. You know, I think that's an interesting time to start getting involved in military education because, as we all know, the world changed. 9-11 occurred, and then not only were military children in school dealing with all of the things that military children have dealt with over the past decades, my, my kids went to three elementary schools and so on, they also had to deal with the extra stress of parents deploying and coming back. And I think back when I started to deploy, my kids were in kindergarten and first grade, and when when I stopped deploying, my kids were approaching high school. And so that adds some significant stress to children in that era. Exactly. And that change in the stressors that military families were experiencing with, with 9-11 and the wars that followed really was reflected in the content that MSEC was developing during that time. So the organization really started when a school superintendent a commanding general and a parent all got together at Fort Hood and said, look at what military kids are going through. We need to do something, form a coalition to help them. And to your point, at that time, it was really more about the very real and continued issues of transferring credits, meeting new graduation requirements in a different state, even things like extracurricular activities and, and having a spot on a, a sports team when you get to a new location. That's where MSEC started, but then not too long after its inception, the war happened, and then a lot more of our content started to be in response to those even longer deployments. The Navy's been doing it for years, but not always under the same kind of adverse and dangerous conditions. Now we serve all the services, National Guard, Reserves, Coast Guard, even veterans kids. We're here for the that mobile community that has experienced different situations than your average civilian kid has. Yeah, and I think that is one of the things that that when people think about service members, yes, they think, okay, they're here for three years and then they move on. And, and maybe they will think about their spouses and children secondarily, but they don't realize the difficulty that comes with having such a mobile lifestyle, especially if somebody has no connection to the military that went to the same elementary school, the same middle school, the same high school throughout their educational career. Military connected kids go to an average of six to nine different schools in their academic career between kindergarten and 12th grade. It's really a different situation. And I know my son had the experience of going to school with kids who were going to the same school that even their parents went to. And it was just so surreal to him for his friends to have been in this community, long ties to a community that a lot of times military connected students without a lot of additional effort and, and deliberate care don't have those connections to a community. And I think that's one of the things, and, and as veterans, uh, post-military life, we have jobs and careers for whatever the reason we do. Uh, but I once had a colleague describe that going to school is the job of kids. That's what they do to be successful in their life. And like their parents who serve, military children have these challenges, like multiple schools that aren't faced by their peers and they're not connected to the military. So how does the Military Child Education Coalition support military children in school? The way that we support military children directly is through our clubs that are called Student to Student or S2S. And S2S is a peer-led 
program or club that is monitored by an adult in the school, like a school counselor or a teacher who has an interest in it. And they are designed to welcome new students into the school because military kids have all been the new student at one time or another, maybe multiple times. And the S2S program not only welcomes new students, whether they're military or civilian, welcomes new students, shows them around the school. And I think one of the neatest things that it does is it has a program where they'll eat lunch with the new student the first couple of weeks of school. Our research has shown us that those first two weeks in a new school and feeling accepted and getting getting situated and acclimated to the school are really critical to a student feeling like they fit in and like they're going to be successful in that school. The other thing that S2S clubs do is provide a foundation for leadership development. We have a curriculum that the, those students can use to learn different tenets and aspects of leadership, and they can also apply to go to our Francis Hesselbein Student Leadership Program that is executed at the Air Force Academy once a year and at West Point once a year. And that's a week-long or five-day event where they go to the academy, they get exposure to the faculty at the academy, and really learn about leadership from some preeminent institutions in our country. You know, that's really interesting. Obviously, we think about, and maybe we necessarily shouldn't think about from a deficit mindset, but the difficulties that exist in military children's lives. But we don't often think about the resilience that's developed in, in military children. Like you just said, they're used to being the new kid in school, so they can connect to people they don't know very easily. I found that with military children who then go on to be service members themselves, they're very adaptable. And it's interesting that a student, this program, harnesses that resilience and helps them then pass that on to new students. Absolutely. And that's a big part of the student to student program is like, we'll train some of the student leadership, but then they go back and they teach it to their colleagues, their peers. And I think you said two words that really resonate with me. One is resilience, of course, which some people feel is an overused term. But I think that the challenges that military kids face, the constant moving, the being new, going into a new culture off and on throughout their lives, that develops their resilience. But the other word you used is adaptability. And I think adaptability is a little different from resilience because adaptability is your ability as a person to assess that your circumstances are different, maybe not worse, maybe not better, but different. And then adjusting to be able to thrive in that environment, regardless of the, the different situation. And so I think that military kids are both resilient and adaptable. And each child responds differently to those challenges. They might have a, a, a good experience in one location and a not so good experience in the next. But what we see with military kids, to your point, is that they, by and large, are expert at walking into a room, assessing the situation, and finding the people with whom they can connect. And, and also really identifying, as you were talking about leadership, identifying situations in when leadership needed to be applied. As you're talking, I'm thinking to a trip in which we were supporting our church and my daughter was with me and there was a little bit of chaos happening. And my daughter turns to me is like, dad, why don't you take charge? And I said, well, I'm just here to lift the heavy boxes. I'm not the one who's in charge. But she saw a situation in which leadership was needed and she turned to her military father. You're a leader. 
you you do something. And and I think that's something that's very typical with military children is that it's around them in the air and they have the ability to, again, that adaptability, step into leadership roles. In in my experience, even the willingness to step into leadership roles to be able to get things done, that's part of the military family ethos. It is, as is a, a culture of service. And you made mention of military-connected kids who grew up and then go on to serve. That's a large percentage of where the services get their recruits right now is from children who grew up in military families. And I think uh, part of that is because they're, they're around it. They understand it. They, they see the possibilities of service. But service can be not only in the military, it can be in lots of ways. And so I think that's another thing that in the S2S programs that we have for students, military kids are right alongside their civilian peers and can help them understand the military lifestyle and without even trying, understanding some of the values and the ethos that come along with that. And and it's really great to hear no one organization can manage everyone. You know, I mean, even the Department of Veterans Affairs recognize they can't support every single service member. And so MSEC really supporting the military children, you're not focused on spouse employment. A very significant concern, but really as an example of an organization that specifically focuses on education for military children. And we know that the support doesn't just end with the person or the group of people that we're supporting. We have to support their environment. And for IMSEC, that means supporting educational professionals. Can you tell us more about the programs that support teachers and staff and understanding the complex needs of military students? Yes. Thanks for asking about that, Dwayne. We have a professional development program that is designed for educators, for school professionals like registrars, school counselors, and it's designed to to familiarize them with some of the unique challenges that kids in military families face. And it's really part of a, a bigger program that for which we're an advocate, the Purple Star School Initiative. MSEC doesn't run the Purple Star School program. It's really run by individual states and not every state has it, but we think it's a, a practice that's worthy of attention. And so we're advocating for its adoption across Across the country. And what Purple Star School designation is, is a way that the state recognizes and communicates to military connected parents that a school system is, is military friendly and has gone to some effort to develop a like a cultural competency around military issues. So for example, most states will require to be Purple Star School designated, you have to have a website that is for military families and directs them to military resources. They'll also require a peer-led program like Student to Student for new students coming in. The states who do this also will require that there's a professional development program for the educators in their system, specifically geared to familiarize them with military, like our professional development program does. And they also will require a lot of times for there to be a point of contact designated on the school campus who is a liaison to those military families. And this is not the same as a school liaison that is employed by the Department of Defense, an employee who is at the installation and works with the schools, but this would be the point of contact on the school side. We think that if you can designate a point of contact 
for the school liaisons to work with or for the parents to work with, that's really a win-win situation all the way around. And I think this is another important aspect of, of really the support that we provide, regardless of, of who we're supporting. It's not just the one program. It's actually a series of program that impacts the environment rather than just the individual. Exactly. I tend to think of children in general as being part of a community of care. And military kids need to be supported by this community of care that's not just driven by the Department of Defense, not just from the school system or even from the parents, but all of us working together. MSEC provides some depth of information and knowledge that maybe is not accessible to your average parent, or even maybe a school liaison might want to access some of our resources for use in their work to support military parents and military kids. We have something called the Military Student Consultant Call Center. And this is the call center is available not only at big installations, but to National Guard service members and their families, to teachers, to educators who have questions veterans. And what that call center does is it's a huge repository of information experiences. We have school counselors, we have folks who are veterans, they have a real depth of experience in the call center, and they can help make connections of other resources. To your point, there's no one organization that does everything. I think an organization that tries to do everything would pretty quickly become overwhelmed. So what MSEC tries to do is connect the different organizations around education issues. And I think that's really a, a critical aspect is as we move of, and, and obviously there are still elements of global war on terror, but really the declared conflicts ending over these past 20 years, we now have to think about how we're supporting in the next 20 years moving forward in the, the youngest child of the youngest global war on terror veterans in first grade right now, so to speak. And so we have to be able to support those individuals throughout that. And I think that really that network concept and saying all the resources are out there, we've been building these resources for the last 20 years. How do we then integrate those resources into people's actual lives? That is, that is a challenge, obviously. And it's something that is, I think we need to remember that it's an iterative process. In other words, like what you're saying, where the, the people who were just coming into the military at the age of 17, at the beginning of 9-11, now they've got families. And even though they've been in the military maybe for 20 years or 15 years, this is the first time they've had a family. And this might be the first time they've had a child in elementary school or the first time they've had a child in junior high. And even if they've had kids in junior high school before, this might be the first time they've had a kid entering junior high in this school system. So the resources may be out there and they are out there, but an individual parent or even an individual teacher going through a situation may not have been through it before. And so we just we need to continue to educate people about the resources and to provide those connections, because even though those of us in the, the space have been doing it for in some case, like with MSEC, 23 years, that doesn't mean that everybody knows what we know after 23 years of doing this. Absolutely. And, and just when you get somebody taken care of and they're out the back door, you've got more people coming in the front door, which is yeah. why we need to be able to be sustainable in what we do. So if people wanted to find out more about MSEC and the programs that you've talked about, how can they do that? They can go to our website at militarychild.org. 
we have a lot of information on the website, how to become a member, how to sign up for newsletters. You can get information about Purple Star Schools, find out if your state has a Purple Star School program, information about SchoolQuest, which is a, a data platform parents and educators can use to collect all their the academic and extracurricular information on their students. There's all kinds of information there. And especially our annual event, which is the MSEC Global Summit, will be in July in Washington, D.C., but it'll be a hybrid event this year so that there's some online offerings as well as in-person offerings. That's great. And I'm going to make sure that all the links to that are in the show notes. Thank you for coming on the show today, Dr. Porter. It's my pleasure. It's so nice to meet you, Dwayne. And we really like what PsychArmor does and look forward to working together with you in the future. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. One of the things that I'd like to point out that came up for me in my conversation with Dr. Porter is something that's fairly well-known in military circles, but may not be as well-known in our neighbors who don't move around very much. There's a lot of variability in the quality of education in our country. Now, that may seem like a Captain Obvious statement. Everybody knows the good school district in their community, and everybody knows the schools that are recommended that people stay away from. Realtors and the home construction industry track how well schools are doing when selling or building houses, and entire websites are dedicated to crowdsourcing information related to the performance of schools. But while this may be something that's one and done for a non-military family, this is something that is a constant point of evaluation for those of us who serve. Education in the United States is managed and controlled at the local level with various funding sources, local tax laws, state and federal funding. Curriculum is different from district to district, and the number of influences on the culture of a school range from local socioeconomic and employment factors to the quality of staff and administration of the school. Couple that with frequent and often short-notice moves, and many military families simply have to take what they can get. Further complicating the problem is whether or not the student has special needs. I recommend that you go back and listen to episode 17 with Michelle Norman and the Military Exceptional Family Member Program, where her work was driven by the variability and quality of services for special needs children when they move from school to school and district to district. This is a topic of extreme importance for military families, especially at a point of stress such as a permanent change of station. The quality of schools can cause a military family to choose where they rent or purchase their house, how long of a commute to base they're willing to put up with, and even their educational choices altogether, whether homeschool, private school, parochial school, charter school, or district school. And coming from someone who's had to figure this out for two kids, it isn't easy. As Dr. Porter said, my spouse and I had no experience in choosing schools or even whether or not we had a choice. While we did not know of the resources provided by the Military Child Education Coalition, it's great to hear that the organization is out there to help service members and veteran families figure out the sometimes confusing local school situation. The other point that I'd like to briefly make is something that I mentioned in the interview, is that I value MSEC's focus not just on the individuals and families, but the school as well. As far as I know, every major military installation has a school liaison office. Dr. Porter mentioned this in her conversation. This is someone employed on the base that ostensibly knows about the local schools 
and can support families as they're making their choices in the surrounding community. What IMSEC does is to encourage schools to have a corresponding individual within their organization to be the person at the other end of that connection. If I were going to a school liaison on base and they tell me that I had a choice between two schools and the on-base school liaison told me that school X had a military family liaison and here's their contact information and school Y does not have a military family liaison, I know which school I'm going to make sure to visit. Any school who is committed to identifying someone whose job it is to answer the questions and support the needs of military families is a school that's put thought into meeting those needs. And that's a school that I want my kids to go to. They're more likely to know about organizations like IMSEC, to have adopted recommendations like the ones in the report that Dr. Porter mentioned, and will understand the unique situations that come up for my children. That's one less thing that I have to worry about, and I can go on to do what I need to do in the military knowing that my kids are taken care of. One of the things that I've always expressed to my kids' teachers, especially when I visited the school for things like Veterans Day, while I appreciate the honor that they provide to those who serve, I also honor and appreciate them. While I was deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan or away on an extended absence somewhere, I was always grateful that they were supporting my children, educating them, helping them grow. Thank service members, certainly, but thank teachers and school staff as well because we couldn't do what we do without them helping us take care of our families. And thanks to organizations like IMSEC that help them do that. For this week's Psych Armor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psych Armor series of courses for kindergarten through 12th grade educators who support military children. Do you have a military child in your classroom? Do you want to create a classroom that can support the unique needs of military children as they manage transitions due to frequent moves? These free courses are for educators who support military-connected school-aged children. These courses are available for any educator who teaches military-connected kids. In order to ensure the courses are relevant, PsychArmor works with nationally recognized subject matter experts to create and deliver online courses about issues that teachers need to know. These courses guide educators to identify unique aspects of military life, especially as military children transition to new schools. Teachers can take these courses to find ways to navigate the unique challenges to enrich students in the new classroom. You can access this course series through a link in our show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in your podcast player of choice, as well as at psychomer.org forward slash podcast. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.